Hello. Happy New Year and welcome back to the week that really was for 2024. My name is John McGurk. I am the editor of Grip Media and your weekly regular host of this podcast, along with my dear friend and colleague, Sarah Ryan. Sarah, Happy New Year. How are you? Happy New Year. I'm good. How are you? I am grand. I am avoiding New Year's resolutions like the plague um, because I think it's, you know, I, I, nobody ever keeps them. Uh, I, I remember about 10 years ago, I decided I'd make some New Year's resolutions. And like, uh, uh, Jan- January is the most miserable month of the year anyway, because mm-hmm. it goes on forever. And by about the second week, you're you're just hankering for the paycheck. And you know, you've got another 14 days to go on 50 quid. Uh, thankfully, life has improved a little bit since those days. But I think for a lot of people, January is a miserable month. Um, and the weather is crap. Um, and then you then loads of people decide to make it even more miserable for themselves. Um, so, so I, I, my couple of years ago, I decided no new, no New Year's resolutions for me. If I need to fix myself, I'll do it in March or April or sometime like that. What about you? What are you giving up? I don't really do like resolutions as such. Like I, but I love I, I kind of I'm one of these weird people who loves New Year. Like I love the feeling of like, you know, a new start, and I kind of write out things I want to do, and you know, that's fascinating. I hate New Year. Yeah, now I don't like New Year's Eve. So, well, this year actually we went out and then one of my kids started, my parents agreed to babysit because they don't really ever do anything um, on New Year's Eve. And then at 10 o'clock, my mum started texting me saying one of them had a roaring temperature and he's vomiting everywhere. So we were home by half 11. Ah, I see, I see. <laughs> I know. But um, no, it's not about New Year's Eve. I just love the feeling of a new year and like, you know, planning out the year and thinking about things I want to do. And I'm into that kind of side of it. But I agree um, that I've grown out of the, um, you know, starting this and giving up that. I don't, most of the vices that I used to think about or talk about before, I don't have anymore in because I have three kids and I, you know, don't go out. Keith and I do dry January every year. Um, I don't think that's any harm. Um after a, you know, probably not a particularly boozy December, but definitely more boozy than any other month I would have, if you know what mm-hmm. I mean. Um, but yeah, I mean, everybody goes on an exercise regime and a diet and all that. Um, what about you? Not me. I don't have to do that. <laughs> I've, I I can see my secret is, can I, do you believe this? I've lost four inches off my waist in the last, oh, four months. I've done it without lifting a finger. I don't think anyone's going to be shocked that uh, I know the answer to this already, but go on. Yeah, because I've been on I've been on this wonder drug called Ozempic. You're the one that Oprah Winfrey is on. Um, and, 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 and by the way, Oprah Winfrey is on it and someone else, me. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, yeah. uh, so, am, I not, am I not the one who told you about it in the first place? You are. Couple of couple of months ago, Sarah uh, told me about this drug called Azempic that you could get. And I went to my doctor, and because I have an underlying medical condition, he was like, "Oh yes, that would be suitable for you." Since I tried to tell you to lose weight now for fifteen years and you've not done it, why don't you try this? He said. And I said, "Well, does it? Is it one of those things now where you have to like take it and it like you know there's a little bit of writing at the bottom that says it works well with exercise or whatever?" He mm-hmm. said, "Said no, 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 just try it." So I tried it. And uh, to be honest with you, I don't really feel very different. Like, I wouldn't say my diet has changed significantly. My appetite has definitely reduced, my natural appetite. Sometimes when people say that your appetite reduces, you kind of imagine 
oh, does he feel sick after eating? No, I just naturally don't Finish feel early. like I, yeah, naturally, yeah. like I, I now I'm leaving food on my plate and not feeling like I want to eat it. Not like it would sicken me if I did, just that, you know, I, I don't want that. Um, and it's a perfectly natural feeling. It doesn't feel any a bit weird. So I'd say I'm eating less. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's been miraculous for me so far. And, well, it's uh, kind of controversial, isn't it? Like, I mean, this Oprah came out and I was kind of shocked that Oprah came out and, and, and admitted she was on it and said like that she was privileged to, you know, be alive in a time where this was available to her and she'd spent her whole life struggling with her weight and now she didn't. And, you know, like my thing about this is what I find interesting about it is that so I've had three children and, you know, after I had my first child, like, you know, pretty much not a bother, like a couple of months later, bounce back, or not bounce back, but like lost weight from having a baby. Um, used to be a, a, a demon for the walking after having a baby, be gone, like no problem. Second baby, much, much, much more difficult, slower, whatever. And then after a couple of years, like I just kept feeling like no matter what I did, it was two more pounds, two more pounds. And like, I, you know what I mean? I just couldn't. And I went to an endocrinologist and they said, yeah, like, you know, kind of on the border of diabetic and, and whatever. And like, ultimately, when I started taking Ozempic about a year and a half ago or a year, no, about, yeah, a year and a bit, I did like change things considerably in the sense that like I, I felt like I suddenly got the metabolism that I deserved, if you know what I mean. So like I started like going back to walking, walking. I mean, I, malahide, like, I, I, I'm surprised I didn't have to re-tarmac malahide. I walked so much. And um, I think like I've lost about like five stone or something. I actually do, I don't know how much I've lost because I refuse to keep a scales in the house. Yeah. Um. Just refuse to do it because my, my 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 wife does not need to lose weight. She's always had a phenomenal figure, though I say so myself. Um, <laughs> even though it's really all her work, <clears throat> and her weight is kind of stable. And I, I refuse to do it because my life has always been my weight has always bounced around within a range, you know. Yeah. Um, and it's depressing if you monitor it because you don't. Some, sometimes it seems to bounce up and down without without me doing anything. Um, but also, as you get to sing about Ozempic, and that's why a lot of people are, are, you know, are going towards it now, is because as you get older, it's just not the same. It's not as easy. It goes up and up and up and you can't, you know what I mean? And I know people will say, it's calories in, calories out, whatever. Yeah, okay, for sure. That's true to a point. But the other thing is that, like, if you and myself and 10 other people are all put on an island next month and we're, you know, all given the exact same weight, uh, like six months later, some people will have lost five stone and some people will have lost one stone. And if you're losing one pound by only eating a month, by only eating, you know, the minimum calories and doing everything you can and it's not working because you're, your metabolism and your age and, you know, hormonal levels for women and different things, it's very soul destroying. And I think that, like, you know, the, the health benefits of not having, of losing weight and not having these, like, this stress on your organs or whatever is tremendous. So I like I'm all for it. But I think there's a huge amount of and I said this to you before, like psychology caught up in how we feel about weight and we're, you know, people who are and like I, I I've lost a lot of weight, but like I was never, you know, I'm five foot ten. I was never huge or anything. But like, you know, I think that people who are very overweight like suffer a lot in a lot of ways, like in terms of like, you know, being dismissed by healthcare for other things and being just told everything is about their weight 
you know, society is meaner to them. You know, there's loads of ways in which like being overweight impacts your life. And so now there's this drug that's helping a huge amount of people. And I mean, like, honest to God, like the shortages, the, you know, the people who are on it. I mean, like the amount of people I know who are on Ozempic is practically at the level that I know more people who are on Ozempic now than who aren't. And hardly anyone talks about it. This is the thing. Yeah, I know. Uh, I mean, I don't care. Who knows? Because I mean, it, 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 like, it, I, I really don't think it makes a difference. But um, I know people, I know, and this is the thing, and this is the reason why I'm happy to say it, is because I've said to people, like I say I do a pickup, for example, of my kids from a Montessori or a, an after school or whatever. And I've had women say to me, oh, do you mind me asking, like, what have you been doing because you've lost so much weight? And I'll just say, oh, well, I I walk and I and I and I also went to a gym and like did a lot of like weight training or whatever, but also I'm on a Zebic. And they'd be like, what's that? Like, I've never heard of that. Um, and one of them in particular was like me, oh, I go walking with a, a group of women and they're all losing so much weight from the walking and I'm not losing any weight and I don't understand. And I said, oh, I'll try Ozempic. And then she came back to me a couple of days later and said, oh, I said it to the women I go walking with and every single one of them is on Ozempic. And I was like, yeah. like none of them would tell you. And it, like, it's just so mean, like to to find this thing that's like really working for you and then to be just like, no, it's just calories in, calories out. Bullshit. <laughs> this is like weird passive aggressive games that some women play with each other it's awful like if you're struggling to lose weight and you're trying everything and this is john by the way as well like i went to an endocrinologist because i was doing so much to try and lose weight and like so much exercise and nothing was shifting and like you know fairly dismissed by the endocrinologist to be perfectly honest and she was like oh it's just like let's talk about you know like calories in calories out and I was like no but I'm weighing my chicken fillets and I'm doing an hour of cycling a day and I'm doing this and it's not really I'm losing one pound here and there like I used to not be like this something has changed she wouldn't listen but like ultimately like the there's you know there's a kind of a there's a gift that you can give people like that will change their lives. I don't understand why you wouldn't just be honest and tell people if you're listening to this podcast and you've been trying and you know yourself, if you're honest with yourself, if you're eating a Chinese at 10 o'clock every night, well, that's why you're not losing weight. But if you're genuinely trying and you can't shift the weight, like go to the doctor and ask them about it because like, you know, the health implications of losing that weight are much are greater than anything else. And like pretending like you have to, like there's you know that it's just all you is 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 unfair and like i don't understand why people aren't honest about it i worked well, my ass off to lose loads of weight but i was helped by a drug that i strongly encourage anybody else who's working their ass off with no results to try well i haven't worked my ass off at all i've done absolutely nothing except well, check myself a week. what <laughs> you're a disgrace you should be doing that <laughs> yeah. well this is what i'm gonna talk about because there's one thing i can't stand it's puritanism i hate puritanism and, and one of the, the reasons we do this podcast is because we live in a state that is kind of dominated by progressive Puritanism. But there are other forms of Puritanism. There is cycling Puritanism. You ever try criticizing a cyclist in this? Country? Yes. Oh, good Lord. Um, I had to block, the, and I never block really on Twitter. I had to block like 10 people one day because I jokingly made something about it's cyclist. I was like, Jesus, guys. No, they, they don't take it well at all. Because no. they, they die, don't you know? I mean, and they're really vulnerable on their bikes. And look, I sympathize. And I actually, they, they make a lot of good points. They just make them with an intensity that is sometimes off-putting. But uh, before we get the cyclists on our back to the podcast, the other kind of Puritanism is, of course, health Puritanism. Yeah. And it's out there, and there are a lot of people who engage in it. And there are a lot, there are a lot of people who kind of, and, and I have been, uh, like you, I'm tall. I'm, I'm six foot four. And, and because of that, 
you know, people who are sympathetic always told me through my life, oh, you, you carry it well, you carry the weight well. Yeah, yeah. But there was never any dispute that the weight was there. You know, I, I'm one of those people, I've never been a naturally athletic person. I was shit at sports in school. Um, couldn't do it. I, I remember I was kind of half decent GA goalkeeper until I was about 16. And then then I had an awful incident in the match, left, left in an awful goal and just kind of said, look, this isn't for me. I'm wasting my time. And I've never really found a sport that I'm naturally good at or, or kind of things that I'm good at don't require a lot of exercise, like, yeah. you know, driving is what. Um, you can kind of do them without, without. So every bit of exercise I've ever done in my life has been deliberately self-inflicted, deliberately miserable. And I hate it. Um, so, uh, you know, anytime I've tried dieting before, I've crash dieted. I've tried the intermittent fasting thing. Remember years ago, um, I was... I think I was after a bad breakup or something in my 20s and I, I, I tried, there used to be these things, I don't know if you can still get them, it was basically the sachet diet you can get from the chemist. Oh, lipo trim. Oh, I did that. that I, I did. Where you eat that. no food except the sachets. I did. Do you know that Keith like still tells people when we're at dinner parties about how his like, his kind of bizarre admiration for me, like he couldn't get over the fact that I ate no solid food for like 50 days in a row. And lost twenty four pounds on those disgusting sachets. To the point, John, where even if I taste a strawberry milkshake now, it gives me PTSD. Yeah, I, I did that too, and I lost two or three stone. Yeah, so and, did then, I. and then as soon as I, as soon as I came off it, went straight back on again. <laughs> I know. I think I lost two stone, and you know that restaurant in town, Fade Street Social, it had like just opened. Yes, and it was so nice, and I literally went in there, and I think I gained all of it back in one night because, like, I, I couldn't stop eating because I hadn't eaten in weeks and weeks, like no food. Keith used to look at me and be like, "How are you doing this?" Well, it's like, funny. I don't know if you found this, but after about the first three weeks, it became, became kind of natural. The difficulty was not the no food. The difficulty was it was no calories, so you couldn't drink alcohol either. Yeah, and also you realize how much of your day it's taken up by eating. It's so boring. Yeah, um, but that's the other thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's it, you, you you realize you have absolutely nothing to look forward to apart from a milkshake at five o'clock. Um, but the thing yeah. is, as well about the about the diets and stuff, John, is that the thing the, the thing is that there's different types of people, and I was one of those people that these things all worked. Like I could get away. Like uh, when people talk about health puritanism and it's just calories in and it's just this and it's just that. Yeah, I know because I used to be one of those people. Like I used to be able to just you know drink and then go to Charlie's Chinese on the way home and be the same all the time because I was young and whatever. But as you get older, your metabolism changes. And then one day, especially when I started having kids, I one day wasn't. And the things that I used to do to lose weight before just stopped working. Mm-hmm. It's not like I was like, I don't understand calories. What? What's? Why am I gaining weight? It, 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 your metabolism changes. Like you change. And there's a lot of people out there who are like that. That's why you see women in particular putting on weight, especially around the middle. Um, as they get older and older. And this drug is literally for that. Yeah. And so and the Puritans, like a huge amount of Puritans, like Puritanism, like around health or whatever, is rarely like being dispensed by people who like, or is most of the time, in my opinion, being dispensed by people who are naturally slim. That and also people who have, who have overcome uh, weight challenges and, and engaged in a body transformation. People who have done the kind of, the really done the weighing their chicken and and eating their granola in the morning with 
cold water and wherever it is they do and gone to the gym for three hours a day every week for six months and emerged the other side and their attitude is i did this through hard work grit and determination and if you if you can't do the same then you're a weak person um and 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 as some of those i think those are the people i've encountered who when i tell them i'm using is empic they're the most skeptical about it mm. and i think partially that's psychological because they're thinking thinking well that's just not fair and there's a you know it's not it's not fair um but also you you live your you, you make your choices i mean I, I have suffered from being overweight you get abuse you kind of do have everyone who's who's overweight suffers these moments where you you look in the mirror particularly if you're going to an event and you're like christ almighty i'm, I'm a show um mm. that does happen it, and i've always been a person who has a relatively high level of self-confidence and self-esteem but even i have suffered those moments down through the years i used to never be able to look at myself on tv um because like i, I would be seeing all the things that were wrong with me yeah um, um so, 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 I mean, there, there is a, there's a, there's a cost to every choice you make. Um, but in this case, I have to say, I, I, I just think, I just think, you know, we should marvel at the wonders of science that so far this drug, which is helping millions of people around the world and has had, you know, I mean, there are side effects. I've noticed that I drink less water. I've also noticed that I burp. Uh, I used to, I used to be never somebody who burped and now I'm burping all the time. Um, which is sort of an unpleasant side effect, but it's better than being fat, um, or as fat as I was. Um, and I, I think you've had you've had other side effects as well. So, but like it's it's you know it, there's no there's no nothing concerning. Um, I mean, I also like you know on the positive side, like I have three small kids. Like my energy level to run around after the kids is massively increased. You know what I mean? The like health implications for anyone losing weight off their or like fat off their organs, etc., is huge. So I mean, I think people are are right to be skeptical about anything, but I think that weight is, you know, like at like as you know, the years have gone on, and we're talking about different diets and things that have been Atkins and things that have been in fashion or whatever. Um, I remember I saw an, an interview, and it's actually a really interesting question, um, which we should come back to. But it was um, Jordan Peterson being asked, what what, are you, what were you wrong about? And he said, you know, in all your talks and for the last 10 years, you've been traveling around. And he was asked, like, what, what, what do you think you were wrong about? And he said, I was wrong about uh, weight and people and the interface, the psychological elements, the how difficult it is for some person, some people to lose weight over others, the psychological reasons why people eat, don't eat, blah, 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 blah. He was like, I was wrong about that. I thought it was black and white issue and it's not. And so I think that a drug that will help a lot of people and um, won't help anyone, everyone. But I think it's something that, you know, people should talk about, be honest about. And, you know, like obviously new year, new you go for walks like this. You know what I mean? Like get out and about like your cardiovascular health isn't going to be improved just by Ozempic, but your your overall health, if you're overweight, will be. There's no yeah. doubt that. I, I don't want to pretend, by the way, that I'm some kind of couch potato who just sits here all day and does nothing. I do walk the dog twice a day and I do get out and about. And yeah. I have these little robins in my garden that come and eat out of my hands. I'm out and about in the fresh air during the day, I, but, but that's all more from mental health than physical health. Um, yeah, I've never yeah, that's been. something I really noticed when I got older because I... I really like the walking thing, like the imp the improvement to your, just your state of mind is unbelievable. Mm. Even if it didn't now. Yeah, I often find that just going out for a stroll, I mean, because in, 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 in my job, I'm producing like 
10 articles. Of, I'm writing 8,000 words a week for Grit, which is, you know, if ever you see a spelling mistake, leave me the hell alone, right? 8,000 words <laughs> a week. I, there's going to be a mistake in there at least once. I don't have a full-time sub-editor, so. But there are days when that is a struggle to think of things to write or to think of things to talk about. And I find going out for a walk really, really helps. One of those days, because we need to do one of my world-famous uh, segues, was uh, yeah. on Monday of this week when I was thinking about things to write and I couldn't think of anything. And then I thought, you know what I'll do? And I think we should repeat it on this podcast. Some predictions, politically and culturally, for the year to come. So I published mine on Monday. People can find them on the Grip website if they search for predictions. Um, Sarah, did you read them? Did you agree or disagree? And do you have any of your own? Yeah, so I read yours, right? Um, mm-hmm. First of all, that you think Biden will be re-elected. I do. I don't. What, talk me through that. Well, I think it's going to be, a, you know, normally they say governments don't lose elections. Oppositions don't win elections. Governments lose them. Uh, have I mangled that? I got that right. Yeah. Oppositions don't win elections. Governments lose them. And Biden has done everything you could possibly hope to lose his election. Number one, he's kind of quite clearly suffering from, if not formal dementia, then certainly what we might politely describe as a certain degree of mental slowing down with age. Um, his economy is terrible. Um, he's got crime crisis on his southern border. He's got all those things. But the Republicans are putting him up against somebody who kind of matches him disaster for disaster and problem for problem. Biden's old and slowed down a bit. Have you seen Donald Trump lately? I'm, I'm sorry. You cannot put a video of Donald Trump from 2016 up against a video of Donald Trump from 2024 or 2023, probably the most recent time he's videoed, and tell me that is a man of the same level of cognitive ability. He's slowed down. Um, he's he's making clubs. And one of the things that's happened, he's been kicked off Twitter, so most people aren't seeing the Donald Trump that's there now. If you go and look at his Truth Social page, it's all rants about the 2020 election and corrupt Democrats. And it's it, it, What used to be about kind of, remember the last election it was build the wall, fix trade, deal with China. Now it's a kind of weird revenge tour of uh, undo the rigged election, abolish the FBI, well, these kind of weird swamp obsessions of a of a nearly eighty year old man. He's got criminal uh, issues going out the gazoo. Whether you think those are fair or unfair, and we could talk about that. The cows come home. They're realistic, and there's a realistic chance he'd be convicted in at least one of them. Um, and 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 what's more, he's run for election twice, and on both occasions he's gotten forty six percent of the vote and no higher than that, which is not enough to win. He won by an absolute fluke of the electoral college in twenty sixteen, having lost the popular vote by one and a half million or something like that. And then he lost it by, I think, eight million in 2020, if you believe the results. I happen to do. I know other people don't, but um, that's not enough to win. So the Republicans are putting up a historically weak candidate who is whose who's number one ability the last time he was in the election was to drive Democrats to the polls rather than Republicans. And, you know, they're not putting up somebody like Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis, who is basically a blank slate. You know, you can say, here's a new, here's Joe Biden or a new person. He said it's Joe Biden or the old guy who you got rid of. I think that is a, a catastrophic error of judgment. And I think by the end of the year, if the economy is picking up a little bit, um, which I think it will because the inflation crisis seems to be easing across most of the world. I'm not saying I want this outcome, but I think the most likely one is that Biden, who will have far more money to spend than Donald Trump, um, and a much more organized um, get out the vote operation because Trump basically tells people only vote on election day, don't vote by, by mail, don't vote by post. Um, I think the same, we'll get basically the same result as we did the last time. Add to the fact, before I 
keep talking. Donald Trump has is historically weak in states Republicans have to win. He's historically weak in Arizona. He's historically weak in Georgia, and he's historically weak in Wisconsin. And you can't win the election if you're a Republican without sweeping those three states. I am. I would be. I mean, lots of things can happen. You make predictions yeah. because sometimes they're wrong, right? Uh, if if I get them all right by the end of the year, that'll be amazing. But I, I just, I don't, I don't see it happening. I mean, I think you're. Everything you've said there is, you know, fair and true. I just think that there's a lot to play for between now and then. And I think that the story around why to vote for Biden if you're American is dwindling by the day. And I think that, uh, you know, it's still to play for very much. Um, well, the, the thing is just on that, if, if, if they nominate literally anybody else, and I mean literally anybody, Chris Christie, even that Ramaswamy, whatever his name is, guy. Um, there's no reason to there's yeah. no there's no reason to vote for Biden because there's no there's no compelling reason to vote against the Republican nominee. If if they put Trump up, then the reason to vote for Biden becomes keep Trump out. And do not tell me that like there you know, you have there are loads of liberals in America and indeed here in Ireland who are very disillusioned with Joe Biden and probably not that keen on seeing him re-elected. But if, if that question becomes, do you want Trump back in, then the Biden side of the equation goes out the window and they're all right back on Team Joe. Mm. I just, I'm not, what I'm noticing, like there's a few random people on Instagram and stuff like that, women in particular, who I follow for different, like, like and I'm talking about like, one is a interior designs account and one is something else. And they both in the last couple of months I've been really struck by the fact that both of them have put up posts talking about how they literally can't believe they're saying this but they're going they're 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 leaning towards Trump and if you actually go back in their feeds to you know a few four years ago or whatever they were Biden people and they're like one of them was like giving out her reasons and she was like we're now you know as there was no wars economy was better things were better under trump it was better to be this better to be that crime was better and they're laying it all at the feet of biden so i don't know i don't know my, my point to you is they they'd also vote for any other republican candidate other than biden because th their problem is with joe biden and i'm not saying those women won't vote for trump and i'm not saying trump definitely won't win i'm saying yeah. i had to put my house on it right now uh, which is the point of making predictions at the start of the year um i i think Biden will scrape over the line. I, no, I, I don't think it'd be a landslide or anything like that, but I think it'll probably be something close to a repeat of the 2020 election. Same candidates. The only thing that's changed is one of them is now the president and one of them now isn't. Uh, they've reversed roles, but I, I, you know, we'll see. We'll I suppose see. it's more that I admire your certainty, if you know what I mean. Um, well, I, I think the biggest reason I'm certain is that the guy has run for president twice before, and on both occasions he's gotten basically the exact same percentage of the vote. 46%. Uh, and by the way, if you look at the opinion polls in the US, he's not over 46% in almost any of them. His average share of the vote, it, it's it's not that Biden is, is it's not that Biden is losing 54 or 42. He's losing 46, 42. There's a big chunk of votes out there who didn't vote for Trump last time, voted for Biden last time. Question is, which way are they going to go? You say there are a couple of them who are going to go to Trump, maybe. I think a lot of them will come home to, to Biden uh, if, if that's the choice they're given. And I think if they're given literally any other choice they they go with the the new guy. Yeah. Well, it's more. Yeah, I just admire your certainty, really. Well, uh, look, we'll have a podcast. Um, I'm sure 
the Thursday after America votes and you can hark back to this one. And if you're right, then I can be dunked upon. And there will be lots of people in the YouTube comments very annoyed at my prediction on this. And they can, all I'll say is stick with me till November. And if I'm wrong, then, you know, give me the kicking. You're going to delight in giving everyone else. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be an interesting year for us, this podcast, because it's going to be busy. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of um, elections. Um, your your one of your other predictions is that either Leo or Michal will not survive the year as leaders of their party. I'd say that there's a possibility that it'll be both. Yeah, I'm actually less certain about this one. I was trying to think because I said they were going to be bold predictions. I wanted I didn't want to be like predicting sort of like easy stuff like Sinn Fein will gain twenty seats in the local election. I, I wanted to I wanted to, to to make predictions that were kind of like you know what are things that could happen this year that you mightn't think. I I mean. The problem, obviously, we've talked about this on the podcast before. Fianna Fáil don't have anyone to replace Michal Martin with. Like, you know, who, who is there there? And I, I, I do only mean about somebody who I know you like, but Jim if Jim O'Callaghan's the answer to that question, then Michal Martin's going to have to be in a lot of trouble. That's what I think there. Leo Varadkar, on the other hand, um, there are, I mean, between Pascal Donoghue, Simon Harris, Simon Coveney in a pinch, um, even, even I would argue the person who they probably should think of appointing, Heather Humphreys, um, they've got they've got a bench. And I think if Leo keeps making flubs, and he's a very bad man for making flubs, and they have a bad local elections, and I think they're going to have a bad local elections. Um, yeah, I think there could be people in Fine Gael who say, look, this guy hasn't actually won an election since we appointed him leader. And our mm-hmm. vote has declined in every election since he became leader. Because that's true. I mean, he, and, and the reason he was elected in the first place uh, as a leader over somebody like Simon Coveney was that he's from Dublin, he's from Castle Knock, he's got an appeal, he'll do well with urban voters. Basically, every sort of idea people had about Leo Varadkar's electoral performance when he was elected leader of Gael has not panned out. Oh. And, uh, and he's completely changed his ideological position, so even people who liked him. Mm-hmm. I, I remember being, del- I, I, I hand on heart, I was delighted when he was appointed leader. I thought, okay, yeah, he's not going to be the kind of radical reforming Leo of his youth. I mean, office is going to moderate him a little bit, but he's still a guy who thinks about things, who has ideas about politics, who wants to reform the state. He has been a catastrophe in office. A catastrophe. And not 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 just purely in ideological terms. Just I mean, what what has he actually achieved? There's a scene in Yes Minister, I don't know if you ever watched Yes Minister where where, where Jim Hacker is asked by a school child in his kitchen what have you actually achieved in politics? And he thinks for a minute, he goes, well, I, I became a member of the cabinet. And I think Leo's answer is, well, I became Taoiseach. What, what has he actually achieved? Um, and anyway, it's, it's not personal dislike. He's a, I, I, I knew him a little bit when we were in university together and I'd met him a couple of occasions and social occasions. He's a perfectly pleasant fellow, nice guy, no difficulty with him on that front, nothing personal. I just think he's been a terrible leader. And I think a lot of people in Fine Gael privately will tell you he's been a terrible leader. And I think at some point he's at real risk of getting the boot. Yeah. I mean, I I, I think Michal is less likely to get the boot than to go off on some other job. Um, you know what I mean? Because, you know, that's would be more in his style. But um, I think there's a good chance that neither of them be there. Well, with him, with with Michal, I get the impression that Fianna Fáil no longer exists as anything other than a vehicle for Michal Martin's career. In that, you know, there's... Did it ever exist as anything other than a vehicle for Michal's career? Well, before he became leader, it existed for other purposes. But in its current kind of state, I mean, traditionally political parties, they, they make an effort to promote 
talent from within for their own for their own survival sake. So if you look at Sinn Féin, for example, if uh, I say a, a genuinely, God forbid, uh, a meteorite came down tomorrow and knocked Mary Lou off the uh, out of her out of her career, they've got uh, Pierre Starty, they've got um, the lad who's always on, on about housing. What's his name? Owen O'Brien. They've got they've got the lady out your direction. Um, what's her name? No, Louise Riley. Yeah. They've got a lot of people who could credibly, in a pinch, step into that job. As I said, Finnegale people. The Labour Party, for all their woes, have a, probably at least three potential leaders on their front bench. Um, who did Fianna Fáil have? And who has he Who has he promoted? Except the, Labour, for, the Labour Party, for all their woes, have a number of people on their front bench that could be leader, except for their actual leader. Yes. Yeah, very true. But yeah, I, I like. Michal By the Ma- way, actually, I will tell you offline. But somebody uh, stopped Keith in the street recently, uh, who is quite a senior member of that party, and said and, and said that I uh, said that they were listening to our podcast. <laughs> it was very mean to them. <laughs> so if it's you, you know, you know who you are if you're listening. And sorry about that. I just disagree with everything you think. <laughs> oh well, I, I don't think that's fair. I mean, we've been very praiseworthy of. Um, Sorry, I'm terrible with names of TDs today, but uh, Duncan, what's his name? Well, Duncan um, Smith is a super good, like he's my local TD and he's yeah. a really good TD. He's actually everything that a TD should be. He's like, he's smart, he's local, but not too local, if you know what I mean. He's not like a super councillor, like he's a good TD, he's a good parliamentarian. He's a family guy, he's of the area. Like, I, I mean, ideologically, I disagree with him on loads things, but I think he's a really good TD. I also always thought that Alan Kelly was a really good TD. I don't think that Ivana Bacic is a good leader for Labour at all. I yeah, think it's, I, I, I think it's I, been an unmitigated disaster. I think that they thought replacing Alan Kelly with a woman who was from Dublin was, you know, uh, and by the way, on paper, that all sounds like a great idea. I mean, when you talk about Fianna Fáil, people are all saying, oh, they need a Dublin leader. And you know, they, people get these notions about what people, parties do and do, don't need in terms of their leader. So I think on paper, they come up with this yarn that Ivana Bacic, like seemed like a great idea for the leader. But I don't think that I'm alone. Um, I think the numbers speak for themselves and that it's been a bust. Yeah, and I think it was always going to be a bust because, I mean, there's being from Dublin, then there's been the Reed Professor of Criminal Law in Trinity College, Dublin. Which I'm sorry does not endear you. Does not I'm sorry, endear you is the wrong word. Doesn't naturally make you a fit for large swathes of Dublin. Does I mean that you know they they have a leader who's suited to sort of coffee bars on on Dawson Street. That's what and are. also like and I I don't say this like I, I really don't mean this to be disrespectful, but because I think that there's different types of people and there's different types of politicians, and I think that some people are really 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 suited to be really good senators. And who talk about, you know, issues and, and more national issues and, you know, kind of themes and bigger issues. And some people are better at being a TD and to, and more local. You know what I mean? And I think she's more suited to the Senate. Hmm. That's my personal view. I don't I really don't mean that in, in any kind of disrespectful way. I just think that, you know, she's she's a she's a broad thinker. She's interested in certain things. And I. I think she did well in that by-election because she was of a moment and they got, you know, all all a bit overexcited. But ultimately, I think Alan Kelly is a superior leader. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Just look at the opinion polls. But anyway, yeah, so that was the reason I think either either Leo or Michal may not survive the year. I mean, the government is shaping up. The government could have an awful year. It could lose two referendums. I think it will. I don't, I, I'm not certain about that, but I think on balance it will. 
um, it, it, it's one of the things people are, don't appreciate about the local elections and one of the things that, that people should know about the local elections is people have to forget that Sinn Féin had a terrible day in the last local elections in, I think, 2019. That was, because things in politics happen quickly, people forget that the Sinn Féin surge in the run-up to the 2020 general election was kind of unexpected and came out of nowhere and really started with um, somebody in Fine Gael planning to honour the black and tans. Do you remember that? Um, but before that, literally the year before when we had local and European elections, I, I, I don't have the percentage to hand that they got, but they had a really disappointing election. They, they polled in the low teens if they even made it to the teens. Um, and they they didn't win a lot of seats. So if they yeah. come back, even on, an, even on a below average Sinn Féin day in May, they're going to double their vote based on the last local elections and they're going to gain a boatload of seats, which even if they don't do particularly well, is going to make th- make it look like the government got a kick. Um, that's that's the other thing with the local and European elections. Um, they're probably going to gain seats in the European Parliament as well, I would think. Um, like so, I heard anecdotally that they kind of literally went kind of door to door and like tried to really reconnect with the electorate and figure out what had gone wrong there. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'd say that that they learned their le- they've learned their lesson. It's a pity. It's a real pity that. Other parties haven't taken that lead, you know what I mean, and like right try to reconnect because I think that like some of the like the government parties are going to have a terrible day. So, um, and that's a shame for the people who are actually going out and canvassing for them and working their asses off to try and get elected and just will just get washed away. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I we'll see. But I think I think you're right. I think that the the government is going to have a bad year. Um, also, bear in mind, do you think there could be a general election this year? I mean, our last general election was in 2020, and it was early in the year. I can't remember the exact date, but it was sort of January or February of 2020. I think there could be a general election around November. Yeah, so, so like, yeah, I think there there could indeed be a general election around November, and that could come in the aftermath of two referendum defeats, thumping in the local and European elections. Um, and, sort of, and because one of the things is narratives build and a big day for Sinn Féin in the local and European elections is, is going to sort of psychologically prepare a lot of people for the possibility that Sinn Féin could be in government. Now that could go one of two ways. It could scare the electorate or it could make Sinn Féin less scary to the electorate. So yeah, I think, I think, I think there could be a general election before we do this year's predictions thing again next year. And um, yeah, it, it could be a big political year. Yeah, I mean, I think... What will happen? What I, what I would say is, I think that the government could get absolutely hockeyed in the referendum, and I think that that result could spook them. And then we roll into the local elections two months. Is it two months later? March, yeah. March, April, May, June. Um, about three months later. And so, yeah, I think there's a number of things there that could, you know, scare the horses or whatever. But um. Overall, I don't think it's going to be a good year. And to be honest, like I saw, did you see this um, thing last week where it was, um, was it Roderick O'Gorman saying that NGOs will have to give a good reason why they're not supporting the referendum? It was bizarre. So I think that kind of statement makes me hope they get hockeyed. Like the arrogance of that. Like you've you've left the resolution in your arrogance and your lack of connection with the electorate to make a statement like that. Is that a threat? Well, he is now, he is now a cancer on the government's political fortunes. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I, I mean, 
the thing about Roderick O'Gorman is that if you if you listen to him speak, he kind of sounds he's very good at sounding sort of moderate and responsible. He is, without a shadow of a doubt, to my mind, the most extreme member of the cabinet in terms of his actual views. Uh, and somebody said to me during the week, it, it, it's bizarre that over the last two governments, uh, Fine Gael, who've been the co- common denominator in both, have allowed the most extreme member of the cabinet on both occasions to take the Department for Children. So we have Catherine Zappone, and I've got Radical Gorman. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean... He is behind an awful lot of the stuff that is causing the government real political problems on the ground. He is responsible for immigration policy uh, and immigration housing, which is 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 causing ructions at local levels up and down the country. He's responsible for large parts of sort of like the the various library book um, issues that we're hearing and seeing about. Uh, and now he's taking these referendums on and basically telling NGOs that they have to support them or else with a tone that implied nice state funding you have there, pity if something happened to it. Um, By the way, was. I think a lot of those NGOs are a nonsense and that's, a, you know, that's a, that's a kind of a, you know, a conversation for another day. But just the fact that you would say that, like, mm. and think that that's an appropriate thing for a government minister to say in advance of a referendum is shocking. Especially since, and bear, bear this in mind, this is one of the things that, that really gets my goal. We obviously have the McKenna judgment in the country, which, which effectively means, for those who don't know what the McKenna judgment says, the McKenna judgment says that the government cannot spend public money um, to advocate political positions. So, in other words, it cannot, it cannot the, the government can't run a campaign out of the Department of Taoiseach saying, vote yes in the referendums. Um, if you're go, if that doesn't, uh, people, people get confused on this. Sometimes during referendums, Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil put up posters and people say, I, I always get emails from people when that happens, kind of going, I thought the McKenna judgment forbade that. No, that's their own money. That's Fianna Fáil's and Fianna Gael's money. They're not allowed to spend public money. But they are, and this we've seen this happen over the last couple of referenda, uh, taxpayer-funded NGOs campaigning. Now, officially, those NGOs say we're not spending the public money, we're spending money raised from donations. But they're only able to campaign because they're funded by the government. They have full-time staff who are funded by the government. They have campaigns officers funded by the government. So it's the, there's a whole constitutional issue there as well, which I really would like some court to take a look at at some stage. So so I, like you, I don't give a hoot about the NGOs. I hope there's a row between the government and the NGOs. I hope that they, they have a big falling out and somebody predictably decides to slash funding to some of these organizations. Because A, it'll be a political scandal, but B, it'll be in a good cause. Yeah. Um, but but that aside, I mean, what an outrageous thing to say! Yeah. Uh, basically, uh, support us or else. Is, is, that's the that was the tone of it. Whether he'll say that's not what he meant, but that was the tone of it. It was unmistakable, and I haven't heard anyone who heard his comments uh, take it any other way. And also, like, is there is there, you know, is there anybody out there who like could mention or could let us know? Like, does he not have PR people and people who are paid salary to help him with manage his media message? And if not, like, and if he does. He, they knew they knew well what they were saying. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, or if they like, if he does, which he, I'm sure he does, they know what they're saying when they write a message like that. That didn't get through a filter. Yeah, and by the way, all of these these things we're talking about are connected because there's the referendums, and then there is local and European elections. Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael do not want to spend the money that they have saved up for the local and European elections on two pointless referendum. They are relying on posters. I mean, they'll use them in one sense in that you will find. 
Fine Gael candidates for the council and Fianna Fáil candidates from the council around the country sticking up posters with their faces massive on them with a small vote yes in the, at the bottom as an excuse to put up posters and build their name recognition. Mm. Be a little bit of that. But they don't want to spend a lot of money actually promoting the referendums and they're hoping that the National Women's Council will lead the campaign on the on the women's issue. And they're hoping that somebody else will lead the campaign on redefining the family or whatever it is. And if that doesn't happen, then they could have quite an anemic yes campaign. So they're they're hugely relying on the NGOs to fill the gap in getting this over the line. And I I I think that people, you know, the Irish electorate are just looking, you know, for an excuse to give the government a kick. Yeah. Yeah. And um, they'll use this referendum because it's so beige and not, you know, that they barely understand it themselves. It's just not really interesting. There's not a lot in it. You know what I mean? Take the word woman out of the constitution by people who can't even tell you what a woman is. Brilliant. <laughs> Right. What else? What 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 else is going to happen this year, Sarah? Um, you said in your predictions that the hate speech bill will not pass. Yeah, I don't think so. Okay. I, 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 this is one of those ones where 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 yeah. you, 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 you people will hope I was wrong about Trump. They're going to hope I'm right about this one. And if I'm wrong about both, God help me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it will. I, I, I look. I think Senate is a huge issue. I think people have forgotten two things about this. Number one, Sinn Féin flipped their position on this. Um, it is no longer in Sinn Féin's interest for this bill to pass, um, both because the the issues, the immigration issue is causing problems for the government. They, they don't want to be seen to be siding with the government on that. They're going to back off on immigration in a big way and start sending mixed messages. So when they're in the Sunday Business Post uh, talking to the middle classes, they will talk about you know, combating the threat to the far right. And when they're in the Daily Mirror and the Sun and the Star talking to um, a more sort of populist audience, they will talk about how we're not in favor of open borders and all that sort of thing. Sinn Féin will do that. Uh, and they won't support the hate speech bill. Um, and you also have people like uh, Fianna Fáil Senator Lisa Chambers, who is, has said she cannot vote for the hate speech bill in its current format. Um, and, you know, and you have loads of government backbench TDs who don't want to vote for this thing with a general election coming up because they don't want to give voters yet another reason to be annoyed at them. Um, I, I, and, and and by the way, last point, is being pushed by the most unpopular minister in the cabinet, mm. uh, in Helen McEntee. Um, and there was a poll before Christmas showing she's not as unpopular as, as people think. Maybe maybe she's not. She's still the most unpopular minister in the cabinet. Mm. Um, in a year that is going to be presumed to have its own fair share of justice issues. And, and a year in which she's under huge pressure to sort of focus back on the core law and order part of her portfolio and get away from all that kind of culture war bullshit. Mm. So, so yeah, I, I, I think, I mean, they, they probably had a window to pass the hate speech bill like in the week after the riot in Dublin and they didn't take it. Um, and, uh, you know, barring another riot in Dublin, which I don't think is massively likely, uh, I, I just don't see where there's going to be a window in the legislative calendar where the government think, you know what's sensible now to spend a week talking about is a week talking about our hate speech bill. Again. So, and as I said, referendum, election, possible general election, I, I just don't see where they fit it in. Well, that's it. I mean, I, I obviously hope you're right. I think it's like, you know, it's a good it's a good take. I just, I feel like they have kind of nailed themselves to this so much and talked about it themselves and talked it up and talked it down and talked about it and brought it back into the middle of the kind of political awareness after those riots that it's very difficult for them to, to drop it. But I hope you're right. I mean, it'd be great. It'd be a win. It might just, you know, skulk off into the back when other things, events take over. 
Um, but I just feel like they've they, it's it's some they they've they've got you know they've got it in their sights and they're you know they'll they'll struggle to be seen. But they don't like what it will look like to let it go away. But we also have media that are incredibly kind government and who just won't bring it up. Yeah, there, there'll be no flack for not passing it. There'll be some flack from the aforementioned NGOs, but even even they will have a lot on their plates this year. I mean, the yeah, one thing, the one yeah, thing that I'm might, sure about it. the one thing that might change that is the uh, is if these asylum centres keep mysteriously going on fire. That is the one wild card I didn't didn't really consider, um, and that is an unfortunate turn of events that have that has started to happen recently. Um, and many times has it happened three, three in the last week. If you count the one in Tipperary, which you know I I don't really know what the situation was there um at all um so yeah so that's that's a that's a new, a yeah. new wrinkle in there but i mean look i don't know what a hate a hate crime bill is going to do there on the basis that in well, those already those crimes are already well covered yes they're they're, they're already crimes yeah. uh number one and number two they thus far no arrests have been made in respect of any of them that's not to preclude the possibility that maybe arrests next week on guard you can move at their own pace but you know in tight-knit communities where crimes of this case, this nature happen, it can be very, very difficult to get witnesses. That's mm-hmm. that's not an endorsement of that. That's just the reality. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's... it's And plus, I mean, these crimes are wrong. They shouldn't happen, but they're happening for a reason, which is that there are a lot of communities who are increasingly desperate as a result of government policy. And, mm-hmm. and, and responding to that desperation with, well, now we're going to crack down even harder with the hate speech bill is just bad politics, in my view. So yeah, we'll see. we will see. I mean, like I said, I hope you're right and it goes away. But I I think that like there's an arrogance there and there's a kind of a, you know, there's a there's a real deep sense of being on the right. And I mean, correct, morally superior side of everything by this government that they'll push it ahead because they think that they're doing something good. Mm. Um. And, you know, that shows in the way Roderick O'Gorman has the confidence to make that statement about the referendum. And it shows in, you know, hundreds of other ways in which the government interact, act, talk and, and push certain legislative amendments and, and even referenda forward. Like they think they're right. They think that they're, you know, doing, you know, good work for well, the people of Ireland. And, and I fundamentally, not on everything, obviously, um, but I fundamentally disagree with that. And if you think that you're doing something that will, you know, save lives and, you know, block bad people from, you know, gaining power and, and and all of the things that they think this hate speech does, I don't see why you just drop it. Yeah, but the other thing is that they've shifted emphasis as well. Um, this is the other reason why I, 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 I made that prediction. They have shifted emphasis away from sort of regulating people's speech to regulating media and media platforms. And, and that, I mean, first of all, I think it was Roderick O'Gorman who said this week that the first priority for the new year was media funding, putting the media on a sustainable uh, footing. Then you've got Commission Naman flexing its, uh, its, its regulatory powers in, a, in quite a clever way initially by saying it wants to restrict access to pornography in Ireland by making everyone hand over their passports to porno. Um, if they want to look at nudie pictures, as Father Jack would say. Um, and there's this constant talk about regulating social media platforms. But basically, rather than implement a hate speech bill, they'll just like force Facebook and, and Twitter and other platforms to, to silence anyone who says anything out of line. Uh, that's the other angle they're coming at it with, 
which is is sort of doesn't agitate people as much for whatever reason because everyone thinks that they're immune to misinformation and it's only somebody else who's reading it and doesn't impact them. Whereas the hate speech bill provides a direct threat to the public. So so I think there'll be a shift in emphasis much more towards this kind of social media regulation approach rather than criminalizing fellas for um, sending dodgy WhatsApps. Mm. Well, we'll see. But I mean, I think you're, I th- listen, I admire the spirit of putting your predictions out there, John, right? Because, you know, as we know, people will love to remind you later that. Yeah, you, you love to remind me later. You talk I know, but people. I, you're going to I do it. I do it from a good. I'm coming from a good place. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, no. if anyone wants encouragement on on presidential election, on the presidential election prediction, if you're really upset about my Trump prediction, please be aware that I have been wrong about I think five of six of the last presidential elections. I think American elections, when you don't live in America, are unbelievably difficult to call, because I think that you have to have an unbelievably good grasp of the. Electoral College and, you know, the state by state. And, you know, anybody who's been to America, I'm sure would agree, like, it's about five years ago now, I spent a bit of time in Montana, but then also Boston. And you might as well be in two completely different countries. Yeah. Do you know Mon- what I mean? Like, Mon- Montana is infinitely the superior of the two. Obviously, stunning. One of the nicest places I've ever been, I think. But, um, uh, you know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's a, it's a hard one to call and and... and you know, we live in a country where our media is unbelievably biased towards the Democrats. And so what you're hearing is always a very skewed view of the reality on the ground in America. And yeah, you're not going to figure out American politics. the ground. Right? There's like a hundred grounds, you know what I mean? You're not going to figure out American politics by reading Maureen Dowd's column in the Irish Times when it makes an appearance this year, as Will does every election cycle. Yeah. Um, you know, or... or, or you know, reading what Fintan O'Toole says. I mean, they're they're coming at it from... I will never forget, one of my favourite Irish Times front pages of all time, in fairness, and Donald Trump gave this to me, was the front page they published on the day after the presidential election in 2016. And I, I you know, I don't want to quote it verbatim, but I, I have it somewhere on my Facebook. I must pull it up and share it at some stage this year because it, it really is the most hilarious thing I've ever seen. It was like there had been a, been a, 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 a level nine earthquake yeah. in... Donnybrook, yeah. like that was the kind of scale of the disaster coverage. This was a, this was like you know, it was incredible. I think they, <laughs> um, and and that I still think is at the root of much of our current problems. I think all this social media regulation, all this hate speech stuff, all this regulation of speech, it's all the the Western liberal psyche has never recovered from twenty sixteen Brexit and Donald Trump, and they're determined that it will never happen again. Yeah. Um, how do we create how do we create more and more you know either legal or kind of societal infrastructure to make sure that we don't that we can not listen yep. to, to other people because yep. you know and 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 the moral superiority over people who disagree with us is unbelievable but you know john like i don't i don't i don't think that a lot a huge amount of people are just are buying into that as much anymore no, and, not. you know, this podcast is that like never ceases to amaze me. I was um, going out over Christmas and uh, two on two different occasions and I was getting my hair done one time and then something else. And both two separate kind of beautician type, type women and both of them said to me, I listen, 
is that your podcast? I listen to that podcast. I love that podcast. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of that. I'm sick of the media. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of that. Like that's, that's significant. Do you know what I mean? That's people who are like, there's a, there's a groundswell of people who are just not buying what they're being, what they're being spoon fed anymore. Yeah. It's funny. Ben, Ben Scanlon has a video out today. We're recording this as ever, by the way, on Thursday, the 4th of January, going out Friday the 5th. Ben Scanlon has a video out today uh, where, where Leo Varadkar had said over Christmas, he said that, he said that, I think he basically described the Dublin Convention, which states, for those who don't know, that somebody who's claiming asylum in Europe has to claim it in the first EU country that they arrive in. And Leo Varadkar had described this as fake news in really exaggerated terms. And Ben had just has a video where he just he just plays him saying this, and then he plays like four or five Fine Gael TDs over the last three years saying the exact same thing that Taoiseach had just said is fake news. Like, there's a lot... Also, I think that... Like I'll check this, but I'm almost positive that is the law. It, it is, it is. Now I've no doubt that Leo Varadkar, if challenged on this, will will point to some technicality about how he was saying that it's actually they have to claim asylum in the first country, but they don't have to stay in the first country. Or so he'll have some basis for wiggling it out. But the the intent of what he was trying to convey was very very clear. Anyway, the video can be found on Grit's TikTok if you want to have a look at it. Uh, but it, it, there's a lot of people who are seeing through it. I mean, because because it really is, we've reached the point with this government, with much of the progressive establishment in Ireland, where it is literally Orwellian. It is, one day you wake up and Oceania yeah, has always been at war with East Asia, even though we were at war with Eurasia yesterday. Um, and that is, and, and, and that is the thing that people keep saying to me. You say people, people over Christmas didn't necessarily mention the podcast to me, but a lot of people came back to me with, I, don't, I think it was, a, was the episode before Christmas or a previous episode where I had said that a definition of being far right these days is believing exactly what our politicians believed 10 years ago. Oh, like and, 10 and, years ago, sometimes John, six months ago. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Honest to God, I said that to somebody over in my family over Christmas. I was like, sorry, because obviously I come from a political family and we do have strong political conversa- conversations over wine and, and whatnot. And I was like, literally, I was being criticised around this table for saying things six months ago that Micheál Martin and Leo Varadkar are saying this week. Yep. I mean, like, it's not even a, it's not even, a, it's not even like, and I told you so, it's just kind of irritating. Yeah, I know. Well, look, your dad listens to us and my life's ambition is to turn Owen Ryan, former liberal, you know, TD from Dublin Southeast into a paid up member of the hated far right. So hopefully I think you'll be, wait- I think you, I think you be waiting. I know, but it's important to shoot for the moon. Yeah. There's no point having mild ambitions. Anyway, we're grateful that he listens and he's a great man. Um, but we're up on an hour, so I think we'll leave the people alone. Do you have any uh, final thoughts? No, I said to you earlier on that I my, one of my New Year's resolutions, actually I did make one, was to read more books. And I'm reading Prophet Song, which is the Paul Lynch book that won the Booker Prize. And it is a book about Ireland in falling apart and it being in the grip of a government that has turned towards tyranny and is kidnapping people off the street if they speak. Wait, 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 wait. have you and I won in this book? <laughs> am, am I the, am I the, am I the slash dictator? Am I am I locking up all all the? Well, the thing is that like what I'm kind of surprised by is like I'm a hundred odd pages in and it hasn't really it doesn't really say what the ideological position yet is of this tyrannical government so you don't really know mm-hmm. um but it's um it's interesting it's it's um it's it's interesting it's not a a, a kind of a book that i would have 
saw it would win a Booker Prize just because it's about that kind of, you know, it's a kind of a political book, but um, it's interesting. I will keep you updated. If it turns into a kind of a, you know, oh my God, the, the far right took over and now every everything's gone wrong, I'll throw it at the wall. And so give us the name and the author again. It is, what did you say it was called? Called, called Prophet Song um, by Paul Lynch. It's based in Ireland and it won the Booker Prize 2023. And I think it's the first time an Irish writer has won the Booker Prize for a very long time, if not ever. Okay, well, let us know. Give us an update next week when you're another 30% in. And well, my New Year's resolution is going really well and that I've lost the book somewhere in the house and stopped reading. I am a very bad reader. I read about four or five pages of a book every night before I go to sleep, kind of as my thing of putting me to sleep. I used to be re- reading an awful lot more than I do now, but um, I- I'm also... Of Sarah and I, listeners should know, I am by far the more lowbrow person. She is a person of high culture and class. I, by contrast, um, over Christmas, uh, sat down on my TV looking for things to flick through. And I I went back to a show, the first episode of which I'd watched last year uh, and thought was a bit rubbish. And I said, you know what, I'm going to give this a second chance. It's called Slow Horses and it's on Apple TV. Um, And it stars Gary Oldman as sort of a, a, a British spy of the old school, but set in the modern world. And uh, the series is spellbindingly good. I mean, just just like I'm so glad I went back and gave it a second chance because the first episode, a bit dodgy, but the, the remainder of it, really, really good. So it's basically, it, it, it's based on the series of books by, I, I, I think the guy, his name is Heron, who wrote them. Uh, and I, I, you know, I'm sorry, I can't give a better plug than that. But if you look up Slow Horses books, anyway, so each TV series is based on one of the books. Uh, so I've now watched three TV series. So I'm not going to go read those books, even though I, that's probably a Philistine thing to do. I'm just going on to the ones that I, ha- that I haven't seen the TV series of. And they're tremendously rollicking fun, but they're not in any way highbrow. So that's is what I'm reading. Is it Cowboys or what is it? it it's uh, it's Spies. The guy is kind of, he writes he writes like, it's, it's set in, in uh, the basic idea is uh, the slow horses refers to this idea that there are some MI5 agents who make a mess of their careers and get sent off to this place called Slough House where their job is to rifle through people's bins and do all the crap work and they get stuck there for the rest of their careers under a massively grumpy old uh, dinosaur by the name of Jackson Lamb who's a spy okay. uh, from the Cold War um, but the plotting is excellent it's very much like a, 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 if anyone's ever read um, and if you haven't you really should uh, now I'm going a bit highbrow Jean Le Carre's um, stuff uh, it's 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 a kind of a modern version of that, and there are actually several callbacks to um, George Smiley and all those spy who come in from the cold books. Um, it's 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 really it's really entertaining, but it's not in any way expanding what's cultural horizons. It's just, just a bit of entertainment before bed, really. So well, I, I might give it a go, but you see, then if I start doing that, then I'll probably read less, and I'm really trying not to do that. So you're actually yeah. probably better just watch TV series. Because uh, TV series takes less time, you can do it in the evening, and it's really good. So that's my big TV recommendation to start of the year. Okay, good one. All right, we will leave that there for this week, the first of, well, probably 51 episodes of this podcast this year. We hope you enjoyed it. We will be back next week. Until then, that was the week that really was. <laughs>